Whenever the weatherman says there's snow on them bar hills, over a half million active sport fans start off with a mountain slope. The Outline World Dispatch. It's Monday, December 11th, 2017. I'm Adrian Jeffries. Today on the show, I talk to Brent Nepper about the problems with Patreon. And Ander Gael reviews the new Tanya Harding biopic, I, Tanya. Here's the dispatch. The future. If you listen to any indie podcasts or follow photographers on Instagram, you've probably heard of Patreon. It's a website that facilitates patronage, whereby fans of an artist can donate money directly to them and sometimes get rewards in exchange. Photographer Brent Nepper has a Patreon. But for him and a lot of other Patreon users, the site hasn't lived up to its promises. Hi, Brent. Hi, thanks for having me. What got you to start your own Patreon page? Oh, a really good motivator. I was flat broke. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah, so uh, last January, um, I... uh, I had been a freelance photographer in Chicago for a long time, but I got more and more into uh, traveling, collecting stories where I went, uh, amazing photographs, a lot of nature stuff. Uh, But by January, I had pretty much run out of freelance gigs, uh, and uh, I was like far away from my creative network of Chicago at that point. So I had no money, and I was living in a car. Uh, I was trying to figure out a way to make a quick income. Explain to me how Patreon works. So Patreon is a uh, website that lets users, mainly markets towards creatives, uh, sell sort of subscriptions to their creative works and their lives. Uh, They create tiers, which are different levels of payments that they then market to their fans anywhere starting from like $1. uh, That might just be a tip jar all the way up to $2,000 for some. When you say creatives, what do you mean exactly? So when I say creatives, I mean people who professionally make creative work for a living. Uh, Examples of that would be, you know, like designers for websites, freelance artists or photographers, anyone whose job is mainly to think creatively, make a work from it. What's Patreon's pitch to people like this? So on Patreon's website... There's a video that shows how amazing of an opportunity Patreon is for those creatives to be able to market themselves directly to their friends. If it weren't for patrons, we wouldn't have Romeo and Juliet or Mona Lisa, Mozart, Shakespeare, Da Vinci. They all had patrons, mostly aristocrats who paid them to create so they could enjoy their works and brag to their friends about how cool they are for supporting creators. And then from there, as you go further into the website, they have taglines such as uh, sustainable income or meaningful revenue, and that they'll offer users creative freedom. How did it go for you on Patreon? Did you ever make any money off the site? You know, I never really made a lot of money on Patreon. Like, as it stands, my Patreon uh, is making the most it ever has in the past year. That's $163 a month. Okay, but that's $163 that you wouldn't have had otherwise. True. Um, So that's the thing. I'm always very thankful that uh, I've made that money. And it's come from uh, fans along the way who subscribe to my Patreon. The amount of work that I put into maintaining that uh, is definitely, if I apply that same amount of time to any other job, uh, the pay would be much higher. When you talk to other people who use Patreon, what kind of 
a sense did you get about how they feel about how the site works and what it's doing for them? So the first thing that people always tell me when I've asked them about their patrons, and this came up over and over again while writing the article, is that they're grateful for the money that they make. But when you really press people about it, they start feeling uh, a little bit burdened by the amount of labor they put into it uh, versus who, who for most is not a lot of money that they make off of all this work they put in. Uh, some have described it as begging along the way. They mentioned that because Patreon is continuous funding via subscriptions versus something like Kickstarter that has maybe a month-long crowdfunding period, they feel that they're constantly uh, asking their audience over and over again for money. The asking for money never stops. So you found that it's actually pretty hard for people to make serious money on Patreon or real money on Patreon, not only through your own experience, but also you found some numbers to back that up too. So most users on Patreon display their earnings publicly. They have an option to hide it if you don't want to. But uh, the public information is graphed on a website called Graftreon. And after getting access to their latest uh, data results from October 2017, it showed that just 2% of those publicly displaying their earnings are actually making the equivalent to the federal minimum wage. There was a change to how Patreon works last week. Can you explain what that was and what the reaction was to it? So Patreon made an announcement in an email to creators and uh, creators' patrons saying that uh, they had great news for creators. Previously, uh, creators' monthly earnings, they would get 90% of those earnings. Another 5% would go to Patreon, sort of acting as the middleman. That's what they get paid. And then the last 5% would go towards fees and taxes. With this new setup, they were taking away the fees and taxes from creators and making it so that way Patreon still got that 5%, but creators would now get 95%. Of course, they still have to pay the fees and taxes. So instead of charging that to their 65,000 uh, plus creators that they mentioned on their site, they now instead charge a 2.9% plus 35 Cent fee to every patron, which I think is over a million patrons now. And this made a lot of people upset. So a lot of people have a $1 tip jar option on their Patreon. doesn't really give anyone access to any additional content. It's just a way of uh, fans to support the artists with a very small amount. Under the new fees, that dollar would go to $1.38. So this latest change... Um, is kind of uh, uh, another hardship, potentially, at least that's how Patreon creators are interpreting it, um, in what is already a pretty difficult system to make a living wage through. What is, who is going to benefit from this change? Well, considering Patreon keeps its original fees on creators, and these new fees on patrons uh, puts those patrons at risk of losing small donors, Patreon seems to gain the most out of these new fees compared to anyone who's actually using their website. I feel like we should talk about how some people really appreciate and like Patreon. And part of the reason why there was so much backlash over this new change was because people, you know, people feel very strongly about the site. And it's almost like it's a very intimate relationship that a lot of creators have with Patreon and they have with their fans through the site. Is there a better way to think about Patreon, uh, you know, 
rather than saying this is the modern version of what supported people like Mozart and Shakespeare, which is something that Patreon says on its website, rather than saying that, is there a different way to think about it? Is it good for, you know, maybe just being one source of revenue among a few sources of revenue for creators who don't fit neatly into the workforce? Oh, absolutely. I think the hardest part about this is that culturally, most people who use Patreon and most uh, dialogue about Patreon is that it's really a website just to make a few extra bucks. It's a great way, an efficient way to have a side hustle. Given the fact that 98% of people can't support themselves on it, they need to have a full-time job anyway. The issue is what Patreon says on its website is not, hey, this is a great website to make a few extra hundred bucks a month. What they're offering is this is a way to change your life. This is a way to get complete creative freedom and to really pursue your art. Will you be sticking around on Patreon? I will. Uh, I'm not complaining about the extra $163 I make a month. And also at this point, the people who uh, support me on Patreon, they've been doing it since January. I've been giving them these stories. and I don't want to stop giving that to them. Brent Nepper is a traveling photographer and writer. You can see his work at brentnepper.com. That's Nepper with a K. And the link is in our show notes. Thanks, Brent. Thank you. Culture. I can remember hearing about Tanya Harding almost as far back as I can remember anything. And the question is whether three moves into the program... She will do a triple axel. When I was barely a year old, she became the second woman ever to land a triple axel in international competition. Good girl! Oh, isn't that great? The first time an American, only Midori Ito, has completed a triple axel in competition. Oh, how nice! How terrific! And I was three when Nancy Kerrigan was attacked on behalf of Harding ahead of the 1994 Winter Olympics. A still jittery Kerrigan said she never got a good look at the man who attacked her after yesterday's practice. All she felt was one real good whack on her right knee. Now there's a new biopic about Tanya Harding called I, Tanya. What kind of friggin' person bashes in their friend's knee? Who would do that to a friend? I went in expecting a mostly factual account of the skater's life, maybe with some sex scenes thrown in for box office appeal. Instead, the film presents an unstable narrative that questions its own authority at every turn. There's no such thing as truth. Everyone has their own truth. There are many sides to the Kerrigan attack. That's what kept us glued to our TVs over it. I, Tanya, acknowledges these perspectives, and it skips a lot of the boring tropes of the modern biopic. Ultimately, the movie leaves it up to the viewer to decide who to put their faith in. Longtime media laughingstock and lifelong survivor of abuse, Tanya Harding, or her abusive single mother who raised her on a waitress's wage, or her abusive husband, Jeff Galuli, who may or may not have put the entire incident into motion, or even us, the public who ridiculed her. The film recounts the early days of Harding's and Galuli's relationship. Her account of domestic violence is denied and destabilized by those around her, just like how it goes in real life. In one scene, after we see the abuse from Harding's perspective, she shoots at Galuli with a rifle. But in the scene, Harding, who's played by Margot Robbie, turns to the camera and says, quote, this is bullshit, I never did this. I never did this. 
In I, Tanya's requisite training montage, Harding works out in various locations. Her coach tells the audience, quote, she actually did this, and this, and this. It's so over the top that these constant reassurances give us the impression that maybe Harding didn't really do these things. The film has the audience questioning not only the characters, but the film's motivations as a whole. That's something films based on true events are usually all too eager to obscure. We also see the characters working to destabilize each other's handle on reality. At one point, Harding is preparing to take to the ice when a spectator begins hounding her with jeers of, you suck. We learn that the spectator was paid to heckle by Harding's mother. Was that to motivate her daughter or bring her down? A cut to her stern face after Tanya lands a triple axel could be interpreted either way. With every fictional movie about real events, we see steady revelations of all the inaccuracies and fabrications. A Beautiful Mind showed John Nash working at the Pentagon during the time when he actually worked at Rand Corporation. Straight out of Compton obscured Dr. Dre's history of abusing women and cut artists Terry B. and J.J. Fad from the story completely. Jada Pinkett Smith revealed a number of fabrications included in the Tupac Shakur biopic, All Eyes on Me. Biopics will always present a carefully elided version of the truth. It's maddening when these movies are then taken as documentary by audiences who don't approach these films critically. But as a cinematic phenomenon, it seems fairly impossible to prevent. America. They want someone to love. But they want someone to hate. There are definitely inaccuracies in I, Tanya. We know so from the outset because the film doesn't make any promises otherwise. And even with all of the news footage and stories available, getting to the heart of the incident that came to define Harding means waiting through years of he said, she said. Refreshingly, I, Tanya resists fact-checking, and it emerges as one of the truest biopics I've ever seen. Derek Ayo is a staff writer here at The Outline. That's all for now. But don't worry, there is a new episode every Monday through Thursday. And if you're subscribed to the show, you'll hear new stories tomorrow morning. I'm Adrian Jeffries. Thanks for listening. <laughs>